Welcome to the Digital Accessibility Podcast, hosted by me, Joe James, and sponsored by PCR Digital, who provide people-centric recruitment. Throughout the series, I'll be interviewing advocates, experts, and practitioners of digital accessibility to help raise awareness for the work that they do, and discuss the role digital accessibility has in all of our lives. I hope that you find value in these discussions and are inspired to join the journey towards a more accessible digital world. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the chat. Today I'm joined by Daniel DeVessa, Dirksen Starts, uh, ex-senior accessibility iOS engineer at Spotify, author of Developing Accessible iOS Apps, prolific tweeter and overall accessibility advocate. Danny's just about to start a very exciting new venture uh, with one of the world's largest tech companies. We're not actually able to disclose who has snapped Danny up at the time of recording, but if you follow him on LinkedIn or X, formerly Twitter, then you will be sure to find out. Danny's had an amazing career, firstly working as a research fellow on augmented reality tools and interactive catalogues for the University of Valencia. Moving on to work as an iOS developer and engineer for some of the largest companies out there. So you've got the BBC, the Times, Skyscanner, and most recently Spotify. He's been on a mission since Global Accessibility Awareness Day 22 to tweet 365 days of accessibility, helping to raise awareness for mobile and iOS accessibility. Um, so I'm going to stop there. It's quite a long <laughs> intro, but uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Danny. Hey, yeah, thank you so much. I'm so happy to finally be, be here and have the chance to sit down and and talk a, bit, a little bit about accessibility with you. And yeah, I really appreciate, appreciate you inviting me, and I'm looking forward to it. You're more than welcome. I'm 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 very excited. We had a quick chat just before, and um, I've, I've let you know that you were actually my inspiration for getting started with this podcast back in 2022. Um, it took some some doing, um, but yeah, I saw that your you you started your journey on the 365 days of accessibility to raise awareness, and I thought, well, what could I do to help? Um, it's it's such an important field. I'd love to do my bit as well. So. We've had seven successful episodes so far. Absolutely honoured that you're finally here as well, and we've got the opportunity to do this. So, um, yeah, I guess, could you just tell us a bit more about your decision to start posting those tweets and slides um, since then? Yeah, and first, like, congrats for the podcast. I'm, I'm really enjoying it uh, so far. And, and yeah, every time I hear that uh, I've been an inspiration, it's, it's just mind-blowing. It feels real and it fills my, my heart with joy. and. So really appreciate your your kind words, and I, I guess that was my my hope actually when when I started, but I did not have any expectations. So uh, I thought that the greatest thing about working in accessibility is that everything you do has a, a great uh, positive impact. But I, it was limited to the projects I was working on. Uh, so I thought that by sharing. Uh, some of the things I knew or some of the tricks uh, I knew, hopefully someone out there would pick, pick it up and, and and apply those things to the projects as well. And I saw that as hopefully uh, a way of making like a higher impact, uh, hopefully creating this snowball effect uh, that uh, more and more people would learn about accessibility and, and, and apply those uh, concepts to their to the projects. 
but yeah, it was a, a mix of things that inspired me to um, to do this. Uh, there was Global Accessibility Awareness Day, and Jenison Asuncion, one of the co-founders, I think presenting the their foundation, said something like, we should go from one day of awareness to a year of action. So that's why I want to do like a whole year of, 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 of tweets. But then so many people that have been advocating, advocating for accessibility, and I've learned so much from like Sally Shepard or Sumer Palanas, it's one of my idols. Like, I've learned so much from them, uh, so I thought uh, it would be very cool to, to give back a bit of what I learned from them. Or Paul Hudson in the IAS community is very well known for 100 days of Swift. Uh, and I saw that that format of little chunks of uh, information that you could, could consume daily uh, could work really well. Um, so yeah, I started one day, uh, had like a 20, 220 day strike more or less. Uh, I'm very happy about it, but sad that I could not continue, but I'm, I'm really hoping to finish them one day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing. By that logic of one day of awareness, uh, you, you're, you're hopefully going to have created 365 years of action um, <laughs> by the end of that. So that's just it's inc incredible. Um, and it's such a huge undertaking because obviously that's not the only thing that you've had to focus on uh, throughout the last couple of years. So um, and they're so detailed, they're really great. And, and you know, the visual that you put towards um, all of that as well. Um, I think people can appreciate the effort that goes into that. And if I mean, I, I couldn't believe you were already keeping up um, <laughs> doing it. So um, I think you should be very proud of, of what you've done there. And yeah, it'd yeah. be great to see that finished and maybe you could have a little book, a flick book of <laughs> each day, <laughs> 365. Um, I guess you've already, um, you, you've done the author's part of things as well. So you've got your book out there. Um, I haven't actually got a question based around that, but hopefully we can draw some inspiration from what you've written in, in your book as well. Um, but yeah, yeah, great, great achievement. Thank you. Um, and you've also, again, worked with some incredible companies over the last sort of 10 plus years. Um, which is quite a long period of time. I'm not trying to age you or anything, but um, <laughs> when you time has probably flown um, over ten it years, has. but but you must have seen still a huge amount of change when it comes to what's available in accessibility within the the iOS and, and general mobile space um, through that time. Um, are there any that's any standout improvements, or could, could you let us know some of the largest improvements that you've seen over the years? Yeah, absolutely. Like for. To start with, like uh, when I started my career, I think I didn't even know what accessibility was. Um, I studied a five-year degree, computer science degree, and I, I was not the, be the best of students, but I'm pretty sure like, I never heard anything about accessibility, which is very disappointing. And I'm happy that that's something that seems to be changing uh, now. Yeah. But for example, the, the first iPhone, and not, not many people know that, it was not accessible. Um, if you think about it, it was a flat sheet, glass, no keyboard, uh, barely any buttons. VoiceOver was not available in the first version. It took a couple more years to for Apple to do that. There's an audio documentary called 36 Seconds that changed everything that I really, really recommend that tells that, that story. And it's not criticism to Apple, I, I don't know what were the reasons why that happened. Um, and we know that 
the story has a happy ending. So when the iPhone 3GS was released, um, they presented the first accessibility settings uh, screen with voiceover and zoom. And, and it really is outstanding, I think, the Apple's progression over the last few years. They kept improving and every single year they released a new tool, API feature. So switch control came over, which is like the possibility of using the iPhone with a single, as, as little as a single switch or button. Um, then voice control, uh, that feels pretty magical, like the first time you, you use it and how much you can achieve with it as well. Um, then full keyboard access, the possibility of using the phone with, with a physical keyboard as well. And a ton of develop, uh, tools for developers. So now we have the possibility, for example, to implement graphs uh, that are represented with audio. So a voiceover user can um, hear a sound that changes in pitch depending on the x-axis uh, value, and then they can identify trends, right? Like, is, is the, is, are those, those values going up or down or up and down? So that's very cool. Wow. And, and lately, I think Apple is just being brilliant that every single year releasing, again, features that feel like magic. So uh, I think usually now they're uh, presenting them around Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which is quite cool. And 2022, they released something called Assistive Touch for the Apple Watch. And it's the possibility of using the watch just with the hand you're wearing, the, like where you're wearing your watch. So you can do things like, we will show a, um, a cursor around one of the elements in the UI, and you can do a single pinch to go forward, double pinch to go backwards, um, fist clench to select it. Um, so no more need to use your nose to <laughs> see the <laughs> notifications or anything if you're carrying a bag in the other hand or something. Uh, so that's, that's pretty cool. Or they they presented something where you can use your phone to detect doors. And it would say, do you have to push? Do you have to pull? Are there any signs outside of the door? Uh, so I think that's pretty cool. And in 2023, they presented something called personal voice, where you can um, do a few recordings of the voice, and that's meant for people that are at risk of losing your, their voice. And, and then it, it creates a synthetic voice that sounds like you. So in the future, if you lose your voice, you can keep using your voice. Uh, and I, yeah, I think that's that's brilliant as well. Or, um, or the same feature that detects doors. Now you can point at things where you think there's text in it, and it will read that text for you. So in case you cannot see it properly or something, the phone will let you know what, what you're pointing at. Uh, as well. And now they're releasing this month the Vision Pro. So uh, they had a video about it in WWDC, Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference, uh, about how accessible it is. And, and it is, there's lots of challenges, right? With augmented reality and virtual reality. Uh, but I think they're nailing it. Not, not to say that they find challenges for sure. And I'm just looking forward to see how how yeah, they tackle them. Yeah, I mean, so much. And it's just, and that's just one company as well. <laughs> the thing that they're releasing all of those things. And uh, I think just to touch on that point, I know you've got a couple of other things to, to mention there, but um, mm. when you mentioned about the personal voice, I think there was a really moving advert that they put out at the time as well when they were announcing yeah. that. and. It is, it's just, there's so many different scenarios where that could be used. Um, 
even if yeah if you're losing your own voice but then i'm i'm imagining the future of ai and if you can implement that within a, a virtual avatar and then those of us that unfortunately are no longer here you would still be able to to hear and see your loved ones so it's uh yeah i mean there's there's challenges with that in, in itself as well and i think with um data and, and gdpr and your own image and things i think that that's another set of challenges but um yeah it was a really moving thing and and so nice to see um something like that being being put yeah. together yeah i really recommend watching that ad is is really amazing i i think it's, those are great examples when a company takes accessibility beyond compliance and they want really to serve the user and to think like what do they need from us what can we do for them and that, that's awesome absolutely yeah and then wider wider reaching sort of like within the industry um uh, you sent me some notes which is great you mentioned that, that you know you're seeing that companies are having more um, accessibility champion networks and things like that as well yeah i i was lucky that um i worked for a few startups and then i joined um the bbc uh so the bbc i think has probably the first Accessibility Champions Network in, in, in the industry. And, and there was a great culture around accessibility. It's the first place where maybe a ticket some, had some specifications about accessibility or a design had some annotations or uh, something I worked on was failed by a QA because it wouldn't work properly with voiceover. And it was really the first time where I started working, doing things more accessible and learning about accessibility. And and the first thing I thought is, why is this not a thing everywhere? Like, why, why does it feel like a special thing here at the BBC? But I've been lucky that since then, I worked for other companies where accessibility has been um, like really important. I joined Skyscanner, for example, and they they were starting like a, a great accessibility network. Um, Heather has been doing like a. a brilliant job there mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it was amazing to see how 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 much they accomplished with with little like resources just by getting some people that were passionate about it together and, and talking about it and 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 seeing how they could do more and then i joined spotify and the same like when i joined there was no accessibility team um, but we had that an accessibility guild was was called back then same thing it was just People that were at the company that were passionate about it, and, and we were trying to see uh, how we could make accessibility more uh, important, or or, yeah, or at least for our colleagues to be more aware of it, and and, and things like that. And the, you can see how they thought it was really important because they actually decided to create a, a specific team for for being focused in accessibility. And I'm super happy that that's something that you kind of see more and more in the industry as well. Slack, for example, has an accessibility team as well. Twitter used to have an amazing one before someone with lots of money decided that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if I can tweet or um, would you call them tweets now? Are they called X's? What is it called? Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll skate around that one. <laughs> exactly. No, but yeah, I, I wanted to mention the Twitter example, for example, because they they set up the bar really high uh, to the point that uh, not um, users with uh, that use accessibility or assistive technologies, uh, but 
every single user, even main media, I expect now for like for every single major piece of software to have like to meet meet those standards. And there's, there was a clear example when Facebook launched Threads. Um, they they were not supporting alt text uh, for images. Uh, and again, no no criticism. Like I I uh, <laughs> I've learned my lesson as well uh, that. Um, you don't know what was happening in the team, like how they were putting things. Um, but I think the great news is um, everyone demanded from them to implement it as soon as possible. And they, they pointed out that it was not right. Uh, so two years ago, like no social network was allowing to for users to add alt text to images. Now Twitter does, LinkedIn does, Threads does. Slack does so. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see that we are in the right direction. It's taking a lot of effort and time, but we we are getting there. Yeah, I think that it's good to see that the the option is there as well for everyone now and the users of those types of platforms because it's a strange world that we live in now. I think you know, ten years again is a long period of time, but it goes so quickly. And now everyone everyone has the world at their fingertips. You're able to create content and put it out there. But if the option isn't even available for you to make that accessible, then you're just, you're excluding such a large portion of people that may have interacted with, with your, your media or your, your content. So just by implementing that as a possibility, you're giving the, the user the opportunity to, to make the difference themselves as well, which is yeah, it's just brilliant to see that that's happening now. Yeah, exactly. I think captions are a great example as well. How um, maybe initially people were paying attention to them for deaf users or hard of hearing uh, users, but how Gen X is a big fan of subtitles and, and captions now, and how we use more and more of them or devices in places where it's noisy or we don't have our headphones, and without those, we can consume the content either. So, absolutely. And I'm, I, you know, Unfortunately, I'm not a member of, of Gen, Gen X because um, I'm over 30 now, but um, I, I've always just had to use captions. I think that strangely, you know, I've got relative, um, relatively good hearing. However, I just find it that I can focus a lot better when I have the option of captions there. Um, Same for me. Yeah, hmm. follow along conversations. So it's, uh, yeah, it's good. Brilliant. So moving on to the next, uh, the next sort of uh, question I'd like to ask would be around within your roles. Um, from what I've seen and what we've discussed, uh, you seem to always have that evangelist kind of hat on, um, but you remain very much hands on um, in terms of the actual physical uh, development uh, for iOS. So do you feel that you can implement the most amount of positive change from that position, being hands on, being technical within a company? Or is it just that's the way it's kind of worked out? Yeah, it's a mix of both things. And, and the, the interesting point is to find the right balance, I guess. Uh, when I started working full time in accessibility, my first reaction was to jump and try to fix every single issue I found. But that's just not sustainable <laughs> long term uh, for, for many reasons. Like you cannot do everything yourself. You may have to fix a piece of software that someone else has worked on, and and therefore you don't really know. The, some other people do, so they're more suited to to fix those things with your help, hopefully. Um, so I find that 
the advocacy and educational aspect of of the role or it's super important it's extremely important um the more people you can teach um the better and if if you can like transmit your passion for for it and 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 for people to to, to understand how important it is um that's that's the key um so i find it really important to work for example a lot with designers because most features start uh, in the design process um and that's like at the earlier you start the better right but the more designers that know about accessibility the more they are going to take certain considerations that uh, are, are going to make it so engineers cannot even like make it not accessible in a way or they may be able to add some annotations to it as well um but i think it's also super important to keep being hang, hands on as well um stay close to the code so you can feel what the pain points of the developers are finding um to keep learning as well because uh as we mentioned for example in ios apple releases new and new things every year um so to to be able to to think yourself um from time to time as well like keeps you uh learning those new things and um yeah it, i think sometimes as well uh because of your role being focused on accessibility, there are certain problems that might be uh, require a bit more specialized specialized knowledge. Like another thing is you cannot pretend that everyone is an, an expert in accessibility. What we say as well like is most of the issues you find out there are really really simple things that everyone can know and fix. But obviously like there's some things that will require will require like um, some more advanced or specialized solutions to it. Uh, and for those cases, yeah, I think it's very good to have someone uh, with the knowledge in-house to, to be able to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. And like you, that brings you back full circle, I suppose, because you can't be expected to do everything yourself. Um, I think the problem is there is a lot of that expectation within the industry or within the community of accessibility that one specialist can fix everything. <laughs> and that just creates a huge amount of burnout um, it undervalues the importance of the role and um, I think then you're just spread way too thinly and then are you really going to be making the best positive amount of contribution that you, that you could have done if you focused on smaller chunks and, and gain that advocacy from other people so yeah I agree I think that balance is great and you seem to have that down to quite a fine art so uh, <laughs> yeah it's good to see um, leading by example hopefully. That's yeah, great. And yeah, 100%. I was in in accessibility Toronto a couple of years ago, and I was sad to find that one of the common themes from most, like, or lots of the talks was burnout uh, in the industry, um, precisely with, because of what you said, like, little resources, a lot is expected from you. And I think as well because people working in accessibility are really, really passionate about it. So, so you, you really try to, to give your best and and yeah, you need you need to see that people are on board with you uh, in, in that journey. Yeah, and I think again, what you've mentioned about staying close to the code, and I think so that you've got a relevant um, viewpoint from 
what a developer would see. So I'm trying to put together a bit of a post or a bit of content around the similarities between the, the cyber and information security um, sort of boom of a few years ago or sort of five, ten years ago and accessibility now because of the regulation change, because of the awareness that's growing. But back then a lot of people were seeing cyber and information security as this team that came in to stop you developing they as a blockade no you can't continue until you do x y or z but unfortunately i think there are developers development teams or or even senior stakeholders that see accessibility as one of those things they want the minimal hmm. viable product that's what they're going for and everything is fast and agile we just need something out there we need a product that people are using rather than we need to make it you know available to a larger chunk of the community uh, you know um so i'm really going to try and pin those nuances um a mm. bit better and you know cyber is is ingrained now you've got things like DevSecOps, so why can't we have dev accessibility ops <laughs> yeah I, I i always as like explain the example of when i started my career as a software engineer um i i found that we were struggling to sell the idea of automated testing and and how of the arguments we had for it were are the same that we are having for accessibility. And and then I find it interesting that somehow automated testing has become part of the culture of software engineering. Like it's expected for you to know about it, to like every single job posting mentions it, every single interview is going to ask about it, but somehow we haven't got there uh, with accessibility. Uh, what I always say as well is, as software engineers, our main goal is to do software that works. And if it's not accessible, it's not working for a lot of people. So we fail to do uh, what we what we were supposed to do. Absolutely, yeah. Just we need to get to that end goal at least. <laughs> um, brilliant. And um, so, when it comes to like you say, the job specs and finding new people within this space, or hiring other engineers and designers, or members of accessibility guilds or teams um, in previous roles have you had any involvement or do you have any advice of what you think the right person would look like in terms of what they've written on a cv or what they've achieved yeah i've been involved sometimes in in hiring processes and i think the difficult thing to know is what you say like to define really well what the job is going to be and what is going to be expected from that, that person very often you see um like job postings for accessibility roles that could be two or three different roles uh, and also to have like the right kind of expectations of what people can you find so as an example of mobile engineering right um if you're finding someone that knows a lot about ios development and accessibility and you and that's what you need and you can find someone perfect like you hit jackpot but <laughs> A lot of times I think it's more or you can start that that way and, and see if you can find someone. But I think a lot of times it's more realistic to think. Would I work better finding someone that is a really good IOS engineer with a passion for accessibility, even if it's not a specialist that we can upskill, that we can give them room to learn about it, teach them what's necessary. Um, that to hopefully bring that person to the level we, we need or the other way around. Do we know someone that um, it's an accessibility specialist and doesn't know much about IS development, but is willing to learn it, always wanted to know more about IS development. Uh, we have lots of IS developers in the company. Can we get that person and um, yeah, 
teach them what what the person will need to do the job. And I think that sometimes uh, like a better strategy, probably, and something that not a lot of times uh, companies consider. I think you're right. And and another thing that I'm trying to get together as you know someone that's trying to help with the recruitment in the in the space is avenues of of roles for people. So rather than it just being you're an accessibility specialist and that job description is as long as a piece of string because you've got every single requirement, every web accessibility, um, you know, bit of knowledge, um, even web development. So you're looking at HTML, CSS, JavaScript, all the new modern frameworks, and they're saying, mm -hmm. oh, but we have mobile products as well. So they need to know Swift, they need to know, you know, Java or Kotlin for Android. And it, again, it just goes on and on. Um, so I'm trying to say, you know, you can have people that focus on accessibility that have the technical, people that have the strategy and, and you know, the, the general sort of program and project management around that and awareness. Um, even the, you know, the culture change could go into that section. So th to split them out rather than just, yeah, you're a specialist, so you should be able to do absolutely everything. I think that's the unfortunate expectation at the moment. So <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think a, a lot of that onus is on me now, I think, because I'm trying to be the guy for <laughs> accessibility <laughs> recruitment. Um, so yeah, I can always use as much help as possible. I listen to, you know, all the feedback from people and I think that leads on to um, sort of salaries and, and expectations in, in recompensation and things in that, in that regard as well. So it's, um, it's unfortunately when it's an unknown to people that are holding the purse strings or, or, or mm. You know, giving the budget for for new new areas of exploration within a company, they're not going to give you what you want. So it's it is tricky, but I think that the tide will turn as soon as you know we get we get more movement in that space. So brilliant. Um, and I get so I guess what's your experience been of the sort of job hunt, job hunting and um, interview process throughout your career? Um, is there anything that you've done personally to ensure that? you're moving into another accessibility focused role as an iOS developer, an engineer, or have have you sort of gone for iOS engineer roles with, you've got a feeling that you could probably advocate for that and then include that as an extra, extracurricular kind of um, thing that you do when you when you join? Yeah, it's been more like that, I think. Uh, as I mentioned, um, I started learning a lot about accessibility at the BBC, and I tried to get more and more involved with, with the Champions Network there and and then when I moved to Skyscanner, one of the first things I tried to see is like what is being done around accessibility here. And then I joined the 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 Champions Network they they had there, and I I think that's the good thing as well when when you start in a company and you have that bit of knowledge that is not extended to everyone like or that yeah that is is unfortunately still rare uh you, you you tend to gain more and more responsibilities and, and be more and more involved in in helping to change the culture around accessibility and to help other teams and not just yours and things like that are actually i think very important for career development so in lots of big companies you're going to be asked to in order to progress to have a a bigger impact than just your team um, but help other teams and and do improvements that are good cross company and not just like focused on your little area of uh, what you own. 
And when I joined Spotify, same thing, like I, I joined with no expectations. Uh, I, I, I actually didn't know the project I was going to start working on. They said it was something new and, and secret. Uh, so I just found out when I was going to start and it was the Spotify Kids t um, app. And it was a super fun project to be involved with. Uh, and same thing, I just tried to find like the people that were passionate about accessibility in the company. And eventually the team was created. And because of the work I had been doing in the in the guild, they thought of me as someone that could uh, join the team. And, and I'm super grateful for that. I think it was very special to be able to, to join a team that is completely focused on accessibility. And, but I, I think, yeah, other people that, for example, can influence, and, and something I try to do in the companies I worked before as well, like hiring processes and, and if you can, for example, add questions about accessibility in, in the in the pool of questions that you ask to candidates, I think that's brilliant. Uh, as we know, not, lots of people may not know the answer to those questions, but I think it works really well as a, as a statement of it's important to us, so the person uh, if it's successful and joins the company, will will think they asked me about accessibility, so it's surely something important in this company. And more importantly, if you can like influence um, what are the requirements in job descriptions as well, if you can add accessibility there, then the candidates will prepare for it before they get to the interview. And again, it's, it's a statement of it's important in here. The automated testing is important, accessibility is as important as well. It's brilliant. Yeah, I, I agree. But then I think the, the only issue with that, <laughs> from my <laughs> perspective, is adding anything else to job specs already. <laughs> yeah, I think people are going to go, oh, God, you want me that to have that as well? Like, um, but I guess mm. if it's if it's a nice to have or just to mention, you know, again, it's just showing the dedication to growth in that field <laughs> or, um, you know, uh, offering that opportunity of of something beyond the day-to-day -day job that you're being hired to do. Um, and again, pro career progression, if you've got that passion and you want to grow in your career and not just keep doing the same thing, then um, then then this is a, a, an amazing and very rewarding avenue to take. So um, yeah, I agree. Um, so I'm going to go on to a little bit more of a techie sort of side of things, um, which hopefully you'll enjoy. Um, <laughs> I was having a think about um, a lot of the issues that we do see within um, mobile and digital accessibility in general and thinking they're not necessarily all just from an ignorance or unawareness standpoint um, in terms of excluding users. I think a lot of it is it, it is unintentional, um, but I think that sometimes it is just that we didn't have the tools or the knowledge that we do now so that a lot of legacy platforms and tech or applications have been developed in that time period without the consideration for things like voiceover, switch controls and, and any other sort of assistive tech. Um, and then because of that, it becomes 20 to 30 times more expensive to put it right because they're already in, you know, uh, they're already active products that people are using. Um, so I don't mean for you to <laughs> solve everything right now on the podcast. It'd be great if you did. But um, do you have a, a vision for how we would overcome this issue or is it just we need to just scrap everything and start developing <laughs> again with accessibility in mind? Um, or could we automate that and streamline um, in a more streamlined solution to ensure that, you know, we're getting the overhaul sort of done 
um, and those legacy apps that are still long-standing and, and needed um, are going to mm. be able to become more accessible. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a super interesting project uh, topic, and uh, I think so. In in the mobile world, especially iOS and Android, um, I I think the best tip I can give anyone is use native components if you can. So native components are um, the components for building UIs that in in the case in the case of iOS, Apple's Apple provides you. It could it could be labels, buttons, text fields, things as simple as that but also colors um, and more complicated components like color pickers or or date pickers or things like that. And obviously, like sometimes you need something uh, that they don't provide or what functionality they, they, don't, they don't give. But I'm, I'm saying that because actually the first time I remember um, hearing the term accessibility, was when I was working at a really small startup called Bananity in Barcelona, and I was the sole mobile developer doing both iOS and Android apps. And just to make my life easy, I decided to use native components out of the box, customize them as little as possible. And then one user thanked us in the app store for making the app accessible. And I was like, what? Like, I haven't done anything. Like, <laughs> let me check this out. And, and then I found that yeah, if you use native components, Apple is very good at making those components accessible. So there's not much work you need to do. And I find that, as you said, bigger and older projects tend to uh, have a lack of, of accessibility because maybe at the time they decided to implement components themselves because they were not, they didn't exist it or the ones that Apple provided didn't have the functionality they needed. An example could be there's a component in iOS called Collection View uh, that is a way of uh, drawing um very complicated layouts like bridges or or uh, uh, if you think about the pinterest kind of layout where there's columns uh that of different uh heights and things like that yeah. you could do this something like that with a collection view but that's um a component that didn't exist when is development started and when in, when apple started providing it it was not very performant so a lot of teams would decide to make those comp components themselves uh, the problem with that is you need to think about accessibility and if you don't then uh, there's a problem for example now uh, when apple introduced dynamic type or the possibility to increase the text size if you didn't consider uh, that for your collection view then the layout would start to break and things like that but what i like to say in this sort of projects uh, big projects is i like the boy scout rule so always leave the campground cleaner than than you found it and in the accessibility world, we like to say progress over perf perfection. Uh, so just when you have to do something new or go and fix a bug, just have a look around and see what you can improve. Um, a lot of times I hear people saying like, what's the point of making this screen accessible if the rest of the app isn't? But you have to start somewhere and, and users will value that and uh, it will set a precedent, it will, it will set an example for for everyone else, and it's it's just a yeah a way of starting. I I think a few years ago, every single project in in iOS was Objective C, and Apple introduced Swift, for example. Uh, today, most projects are UIKit, and Apple introduced Swift UI, and now teams are trying to see how they can migrate. And mm -hmm. in most projects, what happened is if I have to write something new, I make sure it's in Swift or it's UI, or it's accessible in this case. If I need to fix a bug, 
then maybe I change this piece of uh, code to Swift or Swift UI. So I think that's that's the a good approach, just little by little. And it takes time, but you'll get there. Absolutely, yeah, and it, it can be done. <laughs> You've proven that. Mm. <laughs> I think it, yeah, it's just the commitment. I think as well is is, is the big part. Um, but brilliant. I mean, you've already you've already taught us so much <laughs> in this short short space of time. But the final question that I always ask on these uh, episodes is, um, what do you believe is the simplest and most cost cost effective way that someone can implement more digital accessibility within their own line of work? Um, is there yeah is there is there anything in particular or would you say what you've just said kind of covers a lot of that <laughs> off? yeah I, I i'm a big fan of the lasso and there's a quote that i don't remember he says a quote about, uh, from someone uh, i don't remember who that was but is be curious not detrimental so i think that's that's the key is to ask yourself questions and and most issues, most issues that, that you see are repeated over and over and they're not difficult to fix at all. Uh, you see missing labels, you see color contrast issues, you see buttons that are too small, uh, things like that. So if you ask yourself questions like what happens if my user cannot see the screen or what happens if my user does not differentiate colors uh, or what happens if my user cannot hear or, or cannot touch the screen. Then, then you start being in that right mindset of uh, thinking, how do I make this accessible? Um, and yeah, not being judgmental, not, not making assumptions of how your users um, may use your app. Uh, I think, for example, I assume back in the day, maybe blind users don't use the camera and the uh, app, for example. And that's far from true. It's one of the apps that them, a lot of them use the most. Uh, uh, so, so yeah, I, th I think be curious. They ask yourself questions and and be not being judgmental, not not uh, making uh, assumptions. Um, I like again the, the the example of the threads app. Uh, I think we have to approach uh, accessibility with kind kindness as well and. Uh, I need to remind myself about that as well. Um, uh, many times they ended up implementing alt text for uh, for images, and I, 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 I've been involved in many apps, for example, where the reviews in the app store have been the opposite. Like it's been like, um, is there anyone working in accessibility in this app? And you are working in accessibility in that app. not just you, but a, a lot of brilliant people. And but we fail as well. Uh, Sometimes things may regress. Uh, you do your best, um, and yeah, uh, progress over, over perfection. I think is the is the thing that everyone should keep in mind. Definitely, and I think that kindness it needs to extend further. Always, I think that. Hmm. <laughs> You probably get a lot of people thinking, "Are you even doing anything?" And you think, oh my, "Oh my God!" You know, there's there's only a certain amount of hours in the day. There's only a certain amount of things that I can actually focus on at one given time. And your mental health and 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 your work life balance and everything that goes behind you, the human that's trying to make a difference. If you're going to pile on even more pressure as a user that thinks nothing's being done, I mean, it's 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 just going to make things worse. So I think we need that acceptance of we're trying, but it's going to take some time to get there. But also we need to shout out about it more like you're doing. So I think that it's just look, we're aware we're trying to do X, Y and Z and holding our hands up. Um, 
I think that Chris Patno said that when we were visiting the um, the ADC, the Accessibility Discovery Centre in Google's offices in London, and he just said, look, we're not perfect. Like we, we are going to make mistakes. And if, if anything, it's the best thing we can do, because then that will highlight more issues that we need to focus on or do better in the future. So um, I think trying to be perfect is a, is a, is a pointless exercise. Um, so I completely agree. And I think that what you've just shared there is a, is a, a profound and apt sort of way to, to bring the episode to a close, Danny. So um, thank you so much for for joining me um, and for just all the friendship and advice that you've given to me um, over the years that, that we've sort of known each other online. And um, I just hope that we can stay in touch. Um, you've, you've had a huge, huge impact and positive impact on, on so many people with your tweets, your book. Um, a lot of the people that I hire for other companies have mentioned your work as well. So um, I hope that you understand how much you're <laughs> you're giving back to the community. So um, it's just been a pleasure to get to know you over the years. And um, yeah, hope that we can stay in touch moving forward so as well. Same, yeah, I, I really hope so. Uh, thank you so much for, for everything and and yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward for more episodes of the podcast as well. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, hopefully we'll do some more um, group sessions or something as well and um, yeah, we can be a part of that. But um, thanks for joining me this time and um, yeah, I'll see you all on the next one. Thank you.